Good morning, friends. For several weeks now, I've been sharing about uh, how to worship more effectively, and by effectively, I would suggest that's seven days a week because that's really what worship is all about. It's not a a one-day-a-week event. It's an every-day-of-the-week way of life. And once again, I'm preaching just to an audience of one. Uh, My wife, Nancy, is sitting here at the dining room table because she's still recovering from... uh, breaking her pelvis, but she's doing so much better. Just as a review, week one, I kind of used some of the final four in NCAA terminology, but it was about a pregame warm-up, which is preparing your heart to worship with an attitude of surrender, an attitude of sacrifice, and an attitude of service. Week number two was kind of game planning, you know, overcoming some obstacles ahead of time, you know, whether it's guilt or pride or lack of emotions or just plain stubbornness, or just uncertainty about how to do it. But you confront each obstacle with the truth of God's word, and you can deal with it as best as you can in the moment, and then worship anyway. Week three was about having a game plan for worship, and I suggested five things that needed to happen when we come, whether it be at church or at home. We need to prepare ourselves like it's the top priority. We need to come with an attitude of thanksgiving and praise, giving him our undivided attention and bringing in an offering and trusting him with every detail of every aspect of our lives. Today, as we wrap up, I'm not going to call it the final four, because it's actually five different ideas, but it's it's actually um, focusing in. We're going to zero in on that one idea I kind of present in the middle of last week's message, which is has to do with focus, which is giving God our undivided attention. Now, one re- the reason our worship often falls short of the mark is that Often we come to church thinking about everything but God first. I mean, many times it seems like we're not here for him as much as we're expecting him to be here for us. Sometimes we come with an entertainment mindset. You know, this better be good. The music better be the way I like it. The sermon better speak to my needs. The people better be friendly and on and on. We sometimes come with a critical attitude. I really don't like this. I Not so much sure I agree with that. Some of the people here get on my nerves. This church doesn't measure up to other churches I've been to, and you know how it goes. And sometimes we come overburdened and burned out, and there's just so much stuff going on in our lives, so many problems, so many challenges, so many difficulties, that it's all but impossible to set aside our worries and focus exclusively on what should be our real reason for being there. Now, what is our real reason for being here? Simply this, to give God that which he is due, our worship and praise. So many times we come to church or sit down to have our morning devotions, and these matters are all competing with one another and preventing us from giving God our complete and undivided attention. Without it, however, worship can never take place. Throughout this series, we've said that worship is giving to God that which he is due. To give him that which is is due, we need to remove ourselves from the front and center of everything that's going on around us and place him front and center in everything that's going on around us. Now, you can tell who's in charge of any business by who sits in the big chair at the head of the table. As we go about the business of our lives, we all want that top spot in everything we do. But worship calls us to say, Jesus, you sit at the head of the table today. You sit in the big chair. I just take my place over here on the side. And we'll make it today all about you. One of the objectives of this series, as we said from the beginning, is that worship would become a lifestyle for each of us. This means that not only do you come to worship on Sunday better prepared, it means that 
you make personal morning worship a daily priority. It means that your commitment to worship goes beyond the pew and beyond the comfort of your quiet corner at home or your kitchen table or wherever it might be, and it moves into all aspects of your daily life. It means that worship becomes not just a daily experience, but kind of an all-around-the-clock experience. For this to happen, we need to learn to give God our undivided attention at church, at home each day, and throughout the day as we go about our lives. So today we're going to look at five ways we can give God our undivided attention in all we do every day, all throughout the day. And if you want to kind of track along with the text, I'm going to use First Chronicles chapter 16. It's what we talked about last week as well. But First Chronicles 16 describes the elaborate celebration service that David planned for all of Israel to enjoy. Now, if you remember, the purpose of the celebration was that they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, giving it a permanent home and a special tent that David had built. And by the way, tent really doesn't mean it was made only of canvas, like some sort of a Boy Scout tent. It's probably made of wood and covered with canvas, and the inside was like a small tabernacle or sanctuary. In today's text, there's a lot for us to learn about worship. Specifically, there's a lot to learn about what it means to give God our undivided attention as we come to him in worship. And there are five keys that we will focus on. And let's start with number one. It's simply this. We give God our undivided attention in what we choose to remember the most. Just about everything we do, every decision we make, every attitude we adopt, and almost every feeling that we have is based on what we choose to remember and what we choose to think about it, what we choose to reflect on, and which details we choose to consider most consequential. You know, at the end of every trial, you know, and I, I watch Perry Mason with regularity, I tape it on MeTV, you know, sooner or later, the jury retires to ponder a verdict. And at this point, they've heard all the kinds of evidence, arguments from both sides, but it's the facts that they remember the most, the ones they consider to be most consequential that will ultimately determine their decision. In your life, you have, no doubt, all types of events taking place. Some success, some failure, some satisfaction, some disappointment. The question is, which will you consider of greater consequence? Which will you remember the most, the little disappointments or God's overwhelming demonstrations of faithfulness? In the song the group sang at the celebration service in First Chronicles, Davis says in verses 12, 15, and 16, Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. Remember his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham. David is telling us, remember God's faithfulness in the past and remember what he's promised to do in the future. When trouble is bearing down on you, what are you going to remember? What are you going to think about? That everything's kind of fallen apart, that life's kind of a random mess, or you're about to lose it, or... Or will you remember maybe how God has been so very faithful to you in the past and how he deserves your trust today? Will you remember maybe that God has promised in his word, I mean, that's his covenant, that he will never leave you or forsake you, that he will give you strength to endure and power to overcome? What will you choose to remember throughout the day, through this day? You know, every believer I know has a story to tell about God's faithfulness about answers to prayer, about miracles that take place, but we have an unfortunate tendency to forget what he's done. And then our attitude becomes, but what has he done for me lately? He doesn't seem to be doing much of anything now. Now, have you ever noticed that some people have a way of remembering certain things forever? 
years and decades later, they still recall in detail that little thing that so-and-so did to them. That They remembered that, but they'd forgotten about the time God answered their prayer. They've forgotten about how much he's forgiven them. They've forgotten about how many blessings he's poured out in their lives. Have you noticed that? Maybe even in your life? Well, friends, let's not be that way. Instead of choosing to remember every disappointing thing that happened years ago, let's instead choose to remember the faithfulness of God. Choose to remember the promises of his word. By choosing to remember his goodness, you're giving him your undivided attention. David says in our text again, in verses 28 and 29, Ascribe to the Lord, O clans of the people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Now, how often do you use that word, ascribe? Do you even know what it means? It means give God credit. Give God credit for what he's done. Give God credit for his goodness, his greatness, his mercy, his love, his faithfulness, and on and on. Give God credit. That's what we do when we choose to remember the great things he's done, and we choose to trust in the promises he has made. Second, we give God our undivided attention to what we choose to recognize in the world around us. I want you to notice what David says in verses 31 to 33. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills us. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before, for he comes to judge the earth. Have you ever noticed how two people can look at a mountain and one will say, Wow, look at that big rock with dirt and grass and snow on it. Another one will say, look at the majestic creation of our majestic God. I see his hand at work. Or two people can look up at the sky and one will say, look at the stars and the distant planets and suns. Isn't it interesting that it all came together when matter inexplicably and spontaneously created itself from nothing? And the other will say, behold, the creation of God. I see his hand at work in the beauty that surrounds us. You see the difference there? Friends, there's evidence of God all around. That's not just an ocean wave. That's not just a wild flower. In creation, we see evidence of the Creator. I'll tell you what happens when you learn to see evidence of God in all creation around you. You learn to see His hand at work in the events of your life. I mean, just think, two unemployed people get job offers. One says, wow, this is my lucky day. The other recognizes it as a blessing from above, from our Heavenly Father. You worship better when you recognize God's hand at work all around you because it keeps you focused on giving him your undivided attention. Third, we give God our undivided attention at what we choose to say. David says in verses 8, 9, and verse 24, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, tell of all his wondrous works, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all peoples. If you read the Psalms with any regularity, you see that there is a close connection between who you worship and what you talk about. One that comes to mind is Psalm 911. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. Imagine what might happen on a Sunday morning if we all decided together. Today when we come to church, let's talk about how great God is. Let's take a Sunday off of complaining and criticizing and gossiping and rumors, and let's just talk about the greatness of God. Can you imagine what an amazing hour of worship we would have? What if this was our message to the community? What if we were known not as a church with this political bent or this style of worship or 
his socioeconomic identity or whether we were friendly or not so friendly, but what if we were known as the church that just kept talking all the time about this wonderful God that we serve? Can you imagine how that would shape our ability to make a difference? And what if this same commitment found its way into our daily life? It used to be that when you expressed your opinion about a matter, only a handful of people would hear. Today, I don't know whether I should say thanks, but I guess thanks to social media, you can express opinion and hundreds of people will see it in a matter of minutes, and the more negative it is, it seems, the more attention it gets. But what if you decided that instead of pointing all that's wrong in the world, what if you decided that from now on, on all social media, I will only talk about how good God is? And of course, this goes beyond social media. It also applies to our one-on-one interactions with people, IRL, which, by the way, stands for in real life. And a friend said to me the other day, if you know what IRL means, you need to get one. Now, I'm saying that all throughout the day, what we most need to do as church and as individuals, when you're online and when you're offline, is to make it a point to make God the hero of every conversation. That's why David was saying, when he said in verse 9, tell all of all his wondrous works. Friends, you can't give God your undivided attention when you're complaining or crabbing or criticizing or griping or whining or blaming or bragging or insulting others or making off-color remarks or accusing everyone else in the world of being less enlightened than you. That's not giving God your undivided attention. Instead, try this. Make him the hero of every conversation. Here's the fourth key. We give God our undivided attention in what we choose to affirm. After this psalm was sung and the sacrifices made and the offerings received and the prayers lifted, I want you to see what happened next. Verse 36. Then all people said, Amen, Amen. and praised the Lord. Do you get that God was glorified? The people said in one voice, Yes, we approve. This is good. We're all for it. We agree. Amen. Now here's what I want you to consider. To which words, which ideas, which beliefs, which sentiments do you offer your approval throughout the day? Which thoughts resonate most with you? What causes you to say, yes, amen, I agree? The fact is that you're saying amen to something all throughout the day, but what is it? People are out to get you. Amen. You can't trust anyone. Amen. Kids are lazy and ungrateful. Amen. The world's a terrible place. Amen. See, throughout the day, comment after comment is made asking for your amen. What will you do? What ideas will you affirm? I'm challenging you to reject the gloom and the doom that often gets passed off today as thoughtful analysis and embrace instead the promise of God's word. Every day, make sure you listen to or read something that is worthy of an amen, something that deserves a thumbs up, something that's good true, pure, and right, then dare to agree with it. All day long you can say amen to this or that, but make sure before you start your nodding head in agreement that it is, and I did, truly, amen worthy. Now here's the fifth key. We give God our undivided attention in what we choose to do next. After the celebration had had, uh, concluded, the writer of Chronicles says in verse 43, Then all the people departed, each to his house, and David went home to bless his household. Now, I don't know about you, but I find this especially interesting because just as the celebration was taking place, David's wife spoke out of place. I mean, she criticized him for his dancing. 
the Bible actually goes so far to say that she despised him in her heart. <clears throat> and how did David respond? He went home to bless his household. Now we've come full circle in this series because in week one we saw how Paul said in Romans 12 that you are to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We saw how Paul was introducing a new concept in worship, worship that involves every aspect of your life. This is not just the religious part or the Sunday morning part. It's every aspect of your life, your spiritual life, your thought life, your work life, your family life, and on and on. So when David went home to bless his household, do you know what he was doing? He was taking the spirit of worship with him from the sanctuary to the reality of day-to-day life. He understood that by serving his family, he was serving God, and in our service to God, we worship him. Do you want to give God your undivided attention? Then sit down with your family. Give them undivided attention just so you can bless them. Take your kids out for ice cream, not as a reward because they happen to behave a little bit, but kind of like a random act of blessing. Do you want to give God your undivided attention? Then show up for work a few minutes early tomorrow. Do your job with excellence, even the part that the boss can't see and do because God is worthy of your best effort in everything you do. As Paul said in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, Work heartily, as for the Lord, and not for men. I'm talking about making it your all-day ambition to bless those around you, your household, your neighbors, your co-workers, your customers, everyone you come in contact with. The more you focus on blessing others in the name of Jesus, the more he receives your undivided attention. Well, wrapping this up, let me say that this is essential to cultivating a worship-centered lifestyle, that we move ourselves out of the center of the square and we place him there. We give up our seat at the head of the table, and we offer it to him. It's his anyway. When we come to worship, he deserves our undivided attention. It's in what you choose to remember. It's in what you choose to recognize in the world around you. It's in what you choose to say. It's in what you choose to listen to and agree with. It's in what you choose to do next when you have the opportunity to be a blessing to someone else. We've said that worship is giving God that which he is due. And what exactly is his due? What does he deserve from you and me? Well, he deserves it all, of course. Every dollar we earn and every day that we live, he deserves all that we have. And here's what it comes down to. He deserves to be in the very center of what you do next. Whatever your life may be calling you to do, earning a living, living in retirement, taking care of children, praying for your grandchildren, preparing meals, taking out the garbage, doing the laundry, getting ready for a rehearsal, studying your lessons, going to work. Whatever life is calling you to do, he deserves to be in the center of what you do next. In doing this, you give him your undivided attention. Every moment of the day, every step along the way, this is a worship-centered lifestyle. This is giving to God that which he is due. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion.